Rundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, on matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. We cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com This is the rundown, the most watched, least trusted Catholic disinfo hour there is anywhere. Why would you get your news anywhere else? The Fab Four are here, we're assembled. Dark Biden, in menacing form, prepares us for a dark winter. Trump triples down on warp speed, climate terrorism, around the world, and especially in London. Ecclesiastical terrorists now created Cardinal, and so much. of hope and unity and optimism or a nation of fear. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. But together, together we can choose a different path. By releasing viruses, 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 viruses.
It wasn't a political speech that the fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden gave last night, Ryan. It, there was nothing political about it. And that's why it was totally OK that he was flanked by two Marines in the menacing red lights that uh, <laughs> that he was surrounded by. Mm -hmm. I think we have this video somewhere. And I know you guys have addressed this to a certain extent, but because you're behind the podium, you could address the, the criticisms and the questions about why the president delivered what sounded very much like a politically charged speech uh, as an official White House event, taxpayer-funded, with two Marines in uniform in particular flanking him and visible on camera throughout. So I'll take your first question. Look, the way we see it here, and I would argue the way many Americans across the country see it, is standing up for democracy is not political. Denouncing political violence is not political. Defending rights uh, and freedom is not political. Making clear that the challenges uh, facing the nation is not political. Okay, standing up for democracy is not political. Uh, defending rights is not political. Uh, okay, so standing up for, oh, wait, wait, there, there were two or three more uh denouncing political violence okay so i denounce antifa i denounce political violence i denounce saint F george floyd and all of his lackeys that's not a political statement now mm -hmm. i support the right of life of all human beings from conception to natural death that's not political that's just uh that's just standing up for rights right lady uh i don't support 81 million fake votes i don't support hacking into our voting system and stealing an election so uh, i guess actually i I, nothing I just said is political, Ryan. I guess not. Nothing's political. Just like in, uh, a recession is not when you've had a downturn, you know, and uh, for two straight quarters, like uh, uh, the, I can't, the, the formal terminology, the definition escapes me at the moment. But they said, no, that's not what it means anymore because we're rewriting it. And uh, of course, the Quantico, Virginia happily changes the Wikipedia article in recession to match that. We just decide what is and isn't the truth here. So it's not political. Uh, there, there's another video I don't have in there where a reporter even asks about the two Marines flanking, saying, is it appropriate? You know, the last president did it, and uh, President Biden was critical of that while on the campaign trail, but I hear he is. You know, where, where exactly does he draw the line for when it's appropriate to have service members? And then, of course, that, you know, after, like, scrambling through the papers, gives a gobbledygook bit of runaround. We just decided it was okay. So it's the same thing here. We decided this is the new meaning of uh, political. Anything mm -hmm. Biden says is not political, but anything that anyone we don't like says, and that's political. That's absolutely wrong. What's what's so shocking about this? Okay, so they're going after MAGA Republicans, fake Catholic super in chief Joe Biden, uh, the alleged president of these United States, uh, Brother Martin, attacks MAGA. Republicans. And he basically says that if you're a MAGA Republican, then you're a Nazi fascist and you're not you're, you're, you're you don't get to have a vote. You don't get to have, uh, you know, any say in any matters. And here she is playing catch up. Uh, but I think this comment actually was before the MAGA Republican speech. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear as he can be on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, they just don't respect the rule of law. So if you vote, if you cast a vote, then you don't respect the voting? Is that it? 
Yeah, when when you vote, you're uh, you're offending democracy. In one sense, I, in one sense, she's actually kind of right, in the sense that we know the fall of democracy is the mob rule. Is when uh, when there's a bunch of uneducated people out there who can't even de- define what a right is or where rights come from, which is kind of the progressives. Um, that's how democracies actually fall is through is through mob rule. So in one sense, she's right, but she's actually I think part of the mob rule. Um, that's uh, going to take a democracy that's making everything relative. The only way a democracy could, could survive, the only way that you can have real unity. I mean, uh, Biden was talking like uh, a certain Jorge Gregorio lives in Rome. You, know, you need a nation built on unity and to move forward to progress, not move backwards, you know, because there's all these backwardists uh, these days in the church. Um, they all have the same plan, and, and, and it, it's not based on truth. It's just about getting rid of tradition and where, where we come from and to, to do what we want, to, to, to submit to our passions. Okay, this is, uh, James, I don't know if you can hear me. Uh, if you can, give me a thumbs up. If not, gonna, well, James can't hear me. James is going to come out and come back in. We need to really discuss this because I think we're, we're seeing a multi-layered um, simulation happening, and I don't think I'm the only one who thinks this. But, gentlemen, let me, let me propose this to you first, Ryan, because you're our resident conspiracy uh, fact expert. I think what we're seeing now with them propping up Trump, with them raiding his house, with them now saying, if you support him, you're an extremist. I think this is them trying to anoint him and thrust him back upon us. Meanwhile, he's tripling down on the Baphomet uh, vaccines. It could work in one of two ways. It could be they're, they're setting up a Trump president presidency on purpose because he's going to do something that they want him to do, or that'll provoke be the cause, you know, for some reaction they want to receive, or it could be something a little bit different. Here's kind of my thought on this is you notice explicitly the, the reference to MAGA this and MAGA that ever since they appeared with that red hat, I never even really understood what it was all about when that started, but it, that, that was the thing that triggers them. It just sets them off. Um, it's like talking about uh, the, the, you know, the joys of uh, marriage and family in front of a uh, body positive gender studies grad with pink hair. It triggers them and it makes mm-hmm. them go crazy. So I, per- I personally think this is my opinion. It's nutty. But here we go. I think that why did Trump win or was allowed to win in 2016? I tend to think it was because everything with it is setting up certain psyops. And I think the MAGA was one of them. So you get that now. Then we see a progression of federally run psyops beginning with Charlottesville, ending with uh, the so-called super scary Capitol Hill insurrection. So Mm -hmm. you look at Charlottesville. We we were going to do a show actually in some of this, and we never got to happen after that bit in post in uh, Coeur d'Alene at that pride event over the summer, but you know, you know, Patriot front and all that. Let's go, let's dial it back to Charlottesville. You have what? That's the Azov movement, right? All the leaders and organizers are there involved with the Azov movement, right? What is the Azov movement? The Azov movement ultimately is an outgrowth of operation paperclip because back after world war two, um, you know, they say, Hey, we want all these Nazi scientists so we can beat the Soviets to the moon and all that stuff or whatever the excuse is. But, and also what happened is Dulles is like, I need a t- I need uh, intelligence on the Reds. And they did not have anybody who was familiar with Eastern Europe who was capable, even amongst the usual insurance contacts that they usually tapped, because insurance agencies talk to each other all around the world, right? So what do they do? The Germans are like, 
I, my, my, you know, my new friends, we, we've been over there for 20 years. We have people that speak all those languages. Mm -hmm. So Operation Paperclips extended and more guys get off the train to Nuremberg and get on the train now going in the other direction because it, now they are American assets. And those are the people that ultimately set up what we now call the Azov movement, which is a neo-Nazi movement in Ukraine. Hardcore. They are, they have flown over people from, for example, the Rise Above movement, right? You know, that guy Massey who was the founder of Patriot Front. He was the founder of uh, Vanguard before that. These are all movements to, connected to the Azov movement and Western intelligence. And that has been the role. And so Charlottesville is part of networking, putting together and creating that nice little spectacle and the fine folks and all that to be pilloried and, and, and constantly go in the media. This is the right that supports Donald Trump. This is MAGA country here, here in Charlottesville, even though it's mm. all basically Western intelligence off. So the same thing down to January 6th through the QAnon, another PSYOP. And now MAGA is the term that is being isolated. So I think whether we even get Trump or not the next time, uh, if Biden or some, someone who takes his place continues, MAGA is going to be the thing, a basis for domestic terrorism. And then basically it won't matter if you ever like, you know, like some of us, it didn't pull the handle for Donald Trump. It won't matter because, well, you hold this, but only MAGA people hold that. So therefore you're, you're associated with that. And therefore you're going to go off to the new Gulag or before they well, get there, your account is shut down. Here's 45 on TV lately. I push them like they've never been pushed before. And that's why we have it. Greatest achievements was getting the vaccine done in nine months instead of five and a half to 12 years. But the problem is, you know, we save tens of millions of lives all over the world, but I can't talk about it because our base, our beautiful base of which some of you are there, you get angry when we mention the word vaccine. Don't get angry. You did everything you could to get this vaccine out. I know it was one of the, the greatest achievements. We did it in less than nine months. And to be able to do that. Yeah, but we're, but now it's taken a twist, right? And then people don't want it. And it probably even affects the others. Because, you know, there's a big situation with a lot of people don't want to take the vaccine. Well, this played right into their hands. And they want me to do public service messages and everything about everybody taking the vaccine. And look, I guess in a certain way, I'm the father of the vaccine because I was the one that pushed it. You know, to get it done in less than nine months was. You did so many good things. You fought the globalists. They hate your guts. They're setting you up. They're already leaving the sinking ship. You need to come out. And so Trump tried to call me. I missed the call. He reached out to one of his supporters, one of his advisors, and said, why is Alex saying this? So I shot an emergency message about a week and a half ago to Trump. He got it. He watched it. And then I got the response back. And Trump told the people that brought it to him. I've talked to him in the meeting. And, they, and, and Trump said, I don't want to hear about questioning this so-called vaccine again. I call it a so-called vaccine. He said, I don't want to hear about this again from anybody. I think it's good. And that's it. So Trump, last Friday, in response to all of this, said, I believe what I did was good. It's an effective vaccine. It works. And that's it. Even though they admit it doesn't work. Even though they admit it's hurting people. Even though they admit it's a fraud. He still says 95% effective. And that's Trump doing that. That's not me. So I gave Trump until the 23rd of September to not an ultimatum, but just a, a, a point of time to say, you're not part of this. We know the Democrats try to make it mandatory. 
You know, the Democrats tried to make people take it. You're against making the military take it. You're against kids taking it. That's a great thing you've done, Trump. You're already way better than them. We just don't want them to blame you now for what they've done. And his answer is, no, I back it. That's it. So I'm done talking about Trump. I'm not attacking Trump. I'm not supporting Trump. I'm going to support people like Bolsonaro and DeSantis that are coming out saying the shot doesn't work. We were lied to. It's a fraud. I'm not against Trump. I don't hate Trump. I'm not his enemy. But he took a million bucks from Pfizer, which is not that much to be bought out by. And that's not why he's doing this. He said he's the vaccine man. He said he saved hundreds of millions of people. He led Operation Warp Speed. Okay, James. Alex Jones was right is one of my favorite hashtags on Twitter. It rings more and more true every single day uh, since 2002 when he was predicting that they would release these viruses upon us. Now Alex Jones has finally come around. He doesn't back Donald Trump anymore. What are you seeing? Um, <clears throat> can you hear me? This yes. Is yes. Something, yeah, this is something that... Um, Alex has been uh, trying to not uh, do, I, I suppose. He's been giving he's been giving Trump uh, Trump a very long leash to come around on the on the issue. He's been talking about this, and his his supporters. I mean, Alex tries to be true to his base, and so his base is saying, "Hey, why is Donald Trump still pushing this vaccine?" And uh, Alex Jones tried to uh, let that go, but it kept uh, coming back. And finally, he said, "Okay, great. I'm I'm going to get Trump in front in front of." this uh, before the 2022 elections uh, to try to get an idea of what's what's happening. And, um, you know, just ahead of 2024, because that's going to be very critical. And of course, Trump and all his uh, braggadociousness is still touting the vaccine as something good. When when people like uh, Candace Owens, um, even are, uh, of course, Candace Owens says, she, you know, her kids are not vaccinated and she's not getting the vaccine. And these are Trump-based uh, uh, supporters who um, are wondering exactly what's going on. Uh, and that's the only thing I, I guess, you know, you can do right now is to say, you know what, I, I don't understand his motivation behind all of this, but I need to, to stand back and let somebody else uh, come into the limelight, someone like uh, DeSantis. You know, I, I mentioned uh, DeSantis the other day on uh, Twitter and somebody said, no, you know, we want second uh, term of Trump. And I said, are you guys kidding me? You know, don't you understand that he might be compromised? We don't know exactly how he's compromised, but Alex just uh, sort of, uh, you know, insinuated that he took a million dollars from Pfizer. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's Trump. That's Trump change, obviously, for someone like Trump. But why exactly is he doing it? Um, what Ryan was alluding to early on, it could be true. You know, um, he, he got selected for us and um, he's not really truly, you know, uh, into this fight. Look how he rolled over. Uh, 2020 elections. He just rolled over. You know, he he led his base to to believe he had a fight going on in him, and he had zero. He didn't That's fight right. at all. He sort of let it go. Um, just and so out. we're still waiting for the kraken. Where's the kraken? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, me <laughs> you know? Meanwhile, it is now the Overton window has shifted. If you do support Donald J. Trump, if you support 45, and you think 45 was better than uh, the alleged 46, the fake Catholic super chief. Uh, Joe Biden, then I guess you're an extremist. And again, we see majority of Americans who disagree. And so when you are not with where majority of Americans are, then, you know, 
that is extreme. That is an extreme way of thinking. Okay. Uh, we don't come to democracy. Democracy will come to you. If if you are in, if you are not with the fifty point one percent of people, if you're with the forty nine point nine percent of people, you are now an extremist. That is how they're framing this, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I think it fits in with the, the view that I've, I'm starting to take to, which is that this is you know a carefully crafted thing to that can then widen its tentacles into basically anyone who holds anything that now is defined as MAGA. Now that MAGA has been defined as extremist domestic terrorist way of thinking that basically seditious i mean go to uh dark brandon's speech there and if you are a if you are a any kind of conservative at all they can simply rebrand whatever maga is to to fit you know your view so it's like i'm a at least with respect to the modern state i'm an anarchist and I just don't believe it has any legitimacy at all. Uh, the only reason I pay taxes is if I don't, the IRS will lock me up. I don't believe Biden or Trump or anyone has any of the, any legitimacy whatsoever. And uh, my normal th thought is I have no, no reason to pay them any mind, except, you know, the force they'll apply to me like good tyrants if I don't obey. Uh, surely that's, you know, that's pretty extreme. I mean, it's extreme for most people, probably most people that watch this show, I think. Well, I mean, um, look, having a single party democracy, right? Having a one party system, Brother Martin, that's been tried for the last hundred years around the world in various places. It tends to be a very violent ideology, it tends to be a pretty poor one, too. Lots of people starve to death, suffer, are tortured, carried around to gulags and, and secret prisons. Catholic Church typically suffers in that scenario. Bishops are driven underground. Ordinations happen in the dark of night uh, with watchmen. I mean, that seems like that's where we're headed. This dark Brandon uh, speech was, he said it, that the United States was at an inflection point. And I think that's probably the only true statement that he said last night on primetime television. Absolutely. And I think um, this time it's a little bit harder than last time being in the 1860s. Because the, the divide isn't so much north versus south, where people could just put on different colored uniforms and then just go out at, you know, the, the most powerful, most equipped, uh, most economically self-sufficient wins. Um, everybody's mixed in everywhere. Some people share some some of the same position as others, like, I guess, MAGA Republicans versus, I guess, I mean, Catholics. And, you know, we share certain things and even even some uh, more conservative Protestants, you know, we, we, we share the same ideas regarding... Uh, you know, the alphabet people um, and whether or not they should be this ideology should be taught in public schools. And so we have uh, allies where we agree on certain things, but then not on other. And those those differences are, are still huge, like the way whether democracy is, is the future of the United States or not. Um, so there's all these things that, I guess, divide us. And, and a lot of people bog down on those. But it seems as if also the, the, the left, the progressives, they're more united. Um, they're, they're more united in their cause because truth doesn't matter. They have this yeah. idea of freedom where there's just license to ju just do whatever. And so if you want to do that, fine. If you want to do that, fine. And so there's there's this a greater, I think, enthusiastic sense of unity, um, at least on their side, than there is than there seem to be uh, on the conservative side of things. Let's go around the world. Uh, earlier this week, there was a terrorist attack in Baghdad. And the first thing that went through my mind was, oh, yeah, it's time for us to think about Iraq because an election is coming. <laughs>
they tell us that a dozen or more people were killed there, and we obviously pray for the repose of their souls if that's true. But James, isn't it time for some uh, for some muzzy terrorists? I mean, what 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 is the world coming to if we don't have violent Islamic extremists trying to kill us? <laughs> I think this might be one thing that's uh, probably played played out, you know, because. Uh, you know, we haven't heard a lot of this for such a long time. And usually uh, during the course of a year, you hear about you hear about this maybe three or four times. Um, we haven't had any uh, uh, extreme cases of uh, people running over pedestrians. Um, you know, uh, one of the one of the worst cases of what's course in uh, Nice, France, I believe this is in 2016. Um, yeah, so they might just be tired of it. Everyone's maybe corralling around the Great Reset and focusing more more on that. So I'm, I'm anticipating instead of uh, more, uh, you know, uh, attacks coming from that uh, side, I'm, I'm expecting more attacks coming from, uh, the, you know, people like uh, Karl Schwab, you know, through the, uh, you know, IMF or something, something like that. Maybe there might be a crash, you know, Janet Yellen might be uh, up to up to no good, who knows. Well, I, I think there can be no doubt about what's about to happen in Europe this winter. Uh, and speaking of 45, he was absolutely right when he said this and he was mocked. This is a left wing uh, now this mocking him for accurately predicting the exact predicament that Germany has found themselves in this coming winter. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. Germany is now uh, staring down the barrel of a loaded weapon. Germany is headed into winter now. And the cost of fuel to heat your home in Germany, which is entirely dependent on the Russians, as tr uh, President Trump accurately predicted, has now gone to an eightfold cost. In other, in, in other words, some people in Germany to heat their homes are, instead of paying $2,000 a year, are going to pay $20,000 a year, the equivalent, to heat their homes. Many people cannot afford that. Obviously, this type of thing hits the lower and working classes harder than anybody else. Um, this is a very real thing, and it is going to affect other parts of Europe as well. It's going to spread like a contagion. We all saw it coming, and uh, yet the, vi the violent uh, climate activists, Ryan, here's one uh, running around in London just uh, hammering gas stations. Right, so Ryan, we we have we have like the the cartoonish version of this in the United States. Uh, zoom in on the state of California for a minute. 
California has simultaneously said you can only drive electric cars. But with the heat wave now, they've also at the same time said you cannot charge any electric cars. So we're like the we're like the little brother, the little redheaded stepchild cartoonish version of what's happening in Europe. They hate us. uh, And, uh, you know, with perhaps sometimes with reason. But but Europe is really, really headed for a disaster that we are largely going to be insulated from. At least at first. Because ultimately, everyone's going to get to the same place. Um, because that's that's the plan. It's part of uh, Agenda 2030. It's part of Build Back Better, um, which is better for some people, but not for most. In fact, the overwhelming most. So it, it is um, it's tragic to see. And I hope maybe a lot of people in Europe were kind of sold on climate alarmism might rethink it a little bit. But the reality is that renewable energy is not in a place to compete with or take the place of so-called fossil fuels, right? They're just, it's just not. The infrastructure is not there. The, the long lad, the durability is not there for the, the equipment you need for renewable energy. Uh, the windmills don't, uh, you know, they break before they even produce close to the amount of energy to pay for themselves. The, um, you know, the batteries, we're actually running out of the material to make the batteries you need to run electric cars and all this stuff. So, I mean, those are not viable alternatives to our energy needs. So, you know, so if you haven't ripped up, you know, your wood stove, please don't, you're going to be relying on that with the, whatever wood you can manage to get. That's not a crime too, but, but it's going to come over here sooner or later, even though we have more resources at use or at our hands to use the political class is going to lock those down. No, you can't use these because of, well, you know, environment. You're going to put too much carbon in the air. And, you know, the stuff like Trudeau's already doing this in Canada, enforcing the same restrictions on nitrogen emissions on farms. And, and let me get put it this way. If you don't have nitrogen in your soil and in your farms, you are simply not going to grow things at a level that can sustain any any kind of community. Um, and they want to bring it to lower than, than levels. Basically, they want to make farming impossible. Yeah. So whatever well, it's happens, part of, it's, it's, it's part of the plan and some people are awake to it. And here's a guy who is. Why has the Dutch government, a guy called Rutter, the prime minister, completely owned by the World Economic Forum and uh, Klaus Schwab? Why has he just announced that the Netherlands, the second biggest exporter of food in the world, is targeting farmers to destroy them and get them off the land? which is where all these farming protests in the Netherlands have come from. At a time of food shortages and supply chain problems, you are targeting the second biggest exporter of food in the bloody world to destroy its farming base. Why are you doing that? If people depend on you for what's left of the food, you control them. Where food is abundant and cheap, you do not control them. Where energy is cheap and abundant, you do not control them. Scarcity equals dependency equals control. And that's why they're targeting the food chain, they're targeting the energy supply, they're targeting everything. They are going after food and energy, James. It's happening around the world. We're witnessing it from little uh, little Fauchist uh, governors in these United States to little World Economic Forum plant um, you know usurpers in chief like Macron uh, and and other world leaders. Uh, Ryan mentioned Trudeau. 
Uh, these people don't want you growing vegetables in your backyard or having chickens or raising livestock. They don't want you cutting down trees or burning any fossil fuels to warm yourself. They want you totally dependent on government. And yet government is creating scarcity. Well, first of all, that gentleman speaking there looks just like David Icke. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I was I thought he was going to start talking about aliens, uh, you know, a few seconds into it. But I'm, I'm glad that didn't happen. In any case, um, yeah, this is a, it's a huge problem. And this has been a problem for a while. People are now starting to wake up. We were talking about this, not not you and I, uh, but, uh, you know, people who have been awake, you know, around for a while have been talking about uh, Agenda 2020 when it was Agenda 2020, not Agenda 2030. And so all of this has been sort of uh, let to to fall into place. Everything's slowly falling into place now where they can start to reveal exactly what the future is going to hold for the rest of us. Um, and of course, it's very bleak. And of course, it's uh, dystopian. And uh, people are wondering if they're going to get away with it. That's a very good question. I, I, I think uh, that the more they talk about all of this out openly, um, because for them, it sounds like victory. You know, perhaps the hearts of uh, American people and people around the world, like the, uh, like, like the Dutch farmers, for instance, are going to be incensed enough to actually do something about it. Um, we can't certainly let these people... Uh, you know, run around like they've actually had a victory and are dancing on our graves. We have to push back before they box us in. And we're getting to the point now, that if there's a chokehold on food, uh, and, you know, you've seen over the summers, of course, uh, trucks uh, you know, catching fire, uh, farmland catching fire, uh, lots of food going to waste through some sort of, uh, you know, a mysterious um, accident. We've seen all these things happening, but, uh, you know, people are not necessarily despairing. They're getting frustrated and they're angered. So my my hope is that that anger turns into something that can be used to push back. Um, as far as how soon all of this is happening, I mean, it's it's very imminent. Um, we can't keep uh, playing the, uh, you know, uh, the card of, well, you know, we'll wait and see till November. We'll vote, vote them out. Well, 2020, if 2020 uh, wasn't anything, it was a time that taught us that our votes don't count, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, we need to take action now. And uh, how that action basically or what that action is, you know, we have to we don't know necessarily, but we have to start deciding exactly how we're going to uh, fight back against the uh, chokehold that is uh, uh, basically uh, imminent. I think this relates to Ukraine, Brother Martin. I think there's a link here to Ukraine. Ukraine is uh, sort of like the Netherlands. It's a net exporter of food. It's one of the bread baskets of Eastern Europe. And uh, for, since 2014, NATO now uh, agrees that we've been arming and training and equipping Ukraine since 2014. It's not hard to imagine that we have been goading Putin into this for almost a decade. To step up support for Ukraine. Uh, as you know, NATO allies provide unprecedented level of military support to Ukraine. Actually, NATO allies and NATO have been there since 2014, trained, equipped, uh, and supported the Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, but of course, since the invasion in February, allies have stepped up significantly, and we also agreed um, uh, a comprehensive assistance package, uh, uh, also on how to help Ukraine uh, 
to move from Soviet air equipment to more modern NATO standard uh, equipment, and also how to provide more support also for the longer term, building defense and security uh, institutions uh, in, in, uh, in Ukraine. Unprecedented levels of support, Brother Martin, in Ukraine, advising, training, equipping Ukrainians since 2014, and now we're supposed to act surprised when Putin doesn't like it. Well, of course. Um, I mean, as far as Eastern Europe goes, most Americans are, are largely ignorant about the uh, the politics that is involved in Eastern Europe, as well as a lot of people were very ignorant of the politics involving Afghanistan and Iraq prior to, I mean, the Bush era, uh, the Bush presidency. And so I think um, the media definitely has the, the upper hand in that whenever they, they blast media, all, all, you know, the internet, the TV, all that kind of stuff uh, to preach this new gospel, so to speak. Hey, we need to go and support these guys because they're the victims. Um, I mean, everyone's, everyone's always trying to, trying to support the victim, which is one thing that, uh, they know about which is why they want to persecute trump as well is precisely to sell him as a victim so that everybody becomes a maga republican who was maybe thinking about somebody else oh they're targeting trump oh he must be the good guy then um to support him um, but as, as far as the control thing i think it, i think it is true but i think they they presume that everybody uh, wants wants to live so to speak um in the sense that at least as christians we know that we weren't made for this world and so it's it's uh better that we should die in the truth than we should live um, compromising to people that want us to leave and live in, in evil ways. Um, so that's ultimately, I think, at the, it should be in the back of our minds, actually it should be in the front of our minds. Um, when we talk about politics, when we hear about these people wanting to control us and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's a step up our game, um, to stand our ground, and to live our, our Catholic faith. Right. I want to bring it back to domestic issues, but I do want to get you in on this. you got Ukraine with the food. You've got the Netherlands with the food. You've got Canada, which is a net exporter of many things, including food and energy. You have a uh, leftist takeover in all three of those places uh, and or World Economic Forum uh, trying to shut down food supply. We're not really seeing it in the United States yet. But to your point, we have people like Bill Gates buying up all the farmland in the United States. He's one of the largest landholders now in the world. Um, and uh, these, these woke uh, ESG-backed, private equity funds that are also buying up all the land in the United States. So we're going to get to the point, man, where we're the only ones producing food and all of a sudden they're going to change it overnight. They will. And overnight or with a, you know, scaling of, of policies and in the end, ultimately they'll take farms that eminent domain or whatever they have to do. But that's, that's what it takes to be on board with the agenda 2030. And with Ukraine, the, the, the you know the war is as i've said before i think it's a fake war you know bring about all these kind of policies but there's something else that the the war in the ukraine actually shows it shows that the post world war ii order and the un and all that nonsense is a failure it doesn't work right because otherwise you know russia would be expelled there would be a massive you know organization like like they predicted back in the you know in the 60s with the un so what is the un so if the un has failed at the principal mm -hmm. job it was supposed to have what is it for well, to do exactly what it's you know with all these things agenda 2030 agenda 2050 there's one of those on there too um you know agenda 21 was uh, just about getting all of these things moving in agenda or in the year 2021 so all and then everyone signs on to this stuff 
everyone starts implementing it. The financial side of it is things like the W the, the World Economic Forum and the you know the G7 meetings and all the NGOs that meet and connect during those meetings. Bilderberg meeting, which was you know, you know, wreathed in the midst of conspiracy theories for years. And it was a point where the media was like, that's a myth. All right. Yeah. The most important people in the world do mean in Bilderberg, but that's just a conspiracy theory that anything nefarious goes on there. And then they played into it and started releasing, Hey, yeah, here's what we talked about, but you'd have to be more than the usual coincidence theorist to believe that deals that affect us aren't made there. And that that Bilderberg meeting wasn't important. So in, in all of these things, these meetings is basically for continual negotiation because the New World Order is not a Rothschild, for example, sitting in a bunker somewhere, calling, picking up the phone, says, I want this to happen. That's not how it works. There is a prevailing movement to do certain things. And everyone is in the big club is on the same page depopulation control techn technocracy all this stuff they're all they've all been evangelized to that gospel and they're all wheeling and dealing to get the best way to make those things happen that's right and so and that's we'll see it over here when they are confident enough they can beat down the opposition to to make or, or lull everyone into it by the way uh the opposition you better have more than just your ar according to fake catholic usurper in chief so-called 46 president Joe Biden. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe, if you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need a, something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use. That's you. First of all, he said the fire, the the quiet part out loud, James. But second of all. He's factually not true because last time I checked, Afghanistan, the Taliban never had F-15s. The Taliban didn't have heavy, heavy armaments or tanks. Well, they do now. Well, thanks. Thanks to us. Yeah. Thanks, 46. Good job. Uh, no, but the point is, is that fighting an insurgency, insurgents are rarely equally armed, equally trained, equally. The, the, the thing that makes insurgency so difficult to overcome is that a it is ideologically driven it's not you're not you're not just talking about two nation states fighting over a territory you're talking about people fighting for their own homeland their own family their own community their own parish and secondly you're talking about irregular warfare you're talking about people who will strike and disappear who are not wearing a uniform you don't know who they are uh in this day and age in the surveillance state that we live in, they probably do know who a bunch of us are going to be. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, James, that the, the commander in chief, the same guy who's telling you that you have to have an F-15 to overcome the government or to keep the government in check, also doesn't even know how an AR-15 works. Do you realize the bullet out of an AR-15 travels five times as rapidly as a bullet shot out of any other gun? <laughs> i i actually heard wow. i heard that the ar bullets travel so fast ryan that they actually go back in time they they, they can time travel around the planet that'll turn the whole planet back in time like in uh, superman superman yeah, 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 the, breaking, yeah the classic superman too <laughs> 
Yeah, Christopher Reeves is rolling in his grave right now. <laughs> Saying, I thought I was faster than an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, this this president just uh, keeps uh, making a fool out of himself. Obviously, his base is going to eat, eat this up, right? So he's not making this for us. He's making this for his base. And his base is just going to keep lapping this up as though he actually has anything to add to the uh, discussion. Nothing, zero to add to discussion. It's really pathetic. But uh, what he's driving at basically is, um, you know, we are the enemy. If you love God, if you love your family, if you love your your country, and uh, if you love them enough to protect them from a, a change that is diabolical, then you become the inherent enemy. You're the enemy of the state. Uh, and this has been something that's been brewing for a while, right? You know, and so now uh, he's in a position to basically use, uh, you know, the, the powers in his hands to effect some sort of change. We don't know exactly what that is. Chances are people are saying all around the world. I know you you were talking about this months ago is uh, a Trump indictment is basically almost here. Mm -hmm. It's looming around the corner. So if they can indict uh uh, someone like a uh, former sitting president, which is really funny, by the way, because they all talked a good game about indicting uh, George Bush. But when Obama came into office, they quietly all became best friends, you know, which is still kind of boggles me. You know, now you have George Bush leaning on uh, Michael Obama, uh, uh, leaning on Michael Obama's shoulder doing, <laughs> you know, whatever that whatever that was. But 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 anyway, what I'm trying to get what I'm trying to get at is we've now become the enemy, but they don't realize the, the kind of enemy that that we would be f for them. We're not here to kowtow to whatever uh, new things they're trying to force us to accept uh, as part of uh, the makeup of makeup of this country. We're here to fight for you know the nation that we perhaps know and love uh, through the time we spent here. Uh, you know. This is something that we're fighting for to 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 basically preserve uh, what is our right. Uh, and he can't just wish us all to be gone by using the force of government. You know, that's it's going to take a little bit more than that. Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens here. There, there, We've talked about the weaponization of food. Uh, and some weeks we talk about the weaponization of money. Uh, here's a perfect example of weaponized finance in the form of predatory car loans that are keeping people so enslaved and so easily controlled. Hey sir, what is your car payment? Uh, mine is 1325. And what kind of vehicle is that? It's a 22 Ford Raptor. Okay. You have another payment? I do actually. My wife's hers is a thousand. It's a 22 Ford Expedition. Perfect. Hey ma'am, what is your car payment? 1386. And what kind of car requires a $1,386 payment? A 2022 Grand Wagoneer Series 3. Perfect. Hey, sir, what is your car payment? I got a couple of them, but the first one's $1,445. What kind of car is that? That's a new GMC Sierra 2500 Denali. What's the other one? Uh, it's a wide body CTSV. That's 1161. Hey, sir, what is your car payment? <laughs> Bro, 
What's your car payment? And what kind of car are you driving? About to make my car payment. I'll even show you. It's kind of funny. Everybody's talking about high payments. Look at that number right there. <laughs> That's my car payment. Dang. 2021 wide body Hellcat Charger. Okay, so I think it's safe to say I don't know. I don't know this with profound knowledge, but just knowing the three of you. <laughs> Uh, as well as I do know you, my guess is that every single one of those people has a higher car payment than the combined total of our four households. That brings it down a little bit. <laughs> I, we have zero car That's true. In our house. We don't have any, I, any cool cars. Zero. Brothers at zero. Yeah. James, you're, you're yep. the only one. And I, I doubt you have a $1,500 car payment which where in, in the part of the country that you live, I'm pretty sure gets you a four bedroom house. No, I I've got a car payment. That's what $260. And uh, we have a van and that van's paid off. So I'll be done with this thing in a few months and that'll be it. So um, I don't know what $1,500, I'm sorry, $1,500 uh, car payment. I don't know what planet these guys are. And I if bet they're not making more than $45,000 a year. I mean, None of those people look like uh, Wall Street bankers to me, but I could be wrong. No, yeah. The thing is, Ryan, if you labor under the slavery of usury, if you are making a $1,500 car payment every month, let alone whatever your rent is, your housing costs, which is probably 40 to 50% of your paycheck, how easy is it to just, to just say, okay, take the, take the jab or you don't have a job? Take the jab or you can't make your car payment mm -hmm. or uh, comply or you don't get the food or uh, I mean, ultimately, how how can we rely on any of these people to fight for their nation? Give us us free. Give us us free. What, if that's what it's called for. <laughs> what are you saying? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. I just carry on. You're just. You're just trying to add levity. You know what? That's a good point. We don't have any levity, yeah. but you know what we need right now? What do you think we input. need to do? Oh, oh we need a revolution. Yeah. And we need it no. now. No. Not later. Now. Ryan, that exactly. cat, that, that mesmerized cat, that hypnotized cat, he's mesmerized, hypnotized, and enslaved by debt. He's not going to fight on our side. <laughs> No, no. Uh, well, the cat, I doubt, will get many cats fighting on our side. But um, <clears throat> besides that, <laughs> yeah, if you, you're you dependent on the system and you're in debt and you're in debt and you, you're like, you want to keep this. And well, uh, you know, you're going to you're always going to one just societally. You're always going to be chasing, you know, this or that. I mean, I don't know who buys a new car at that level. Well, first, I don't know why anyone buys a new car anyway. It's one of the worst investments you could ever make. Um, uh, uh, no, no, that's why I've always bought used. Uh, the only time no. I didn't was my first car. When you're young and stupid, you do things like that. And then you learn. Yep. And so, yep. uh, but my first mortgage payment, the first house I had was 800 bucks a month um, or, or so 900 bucks, something like that. Yep. So it's, um, it, it just, it's such a level of absurdity, but there you are. And now, now where's your, your income going? What income do you have left? Well, I got to buy food and well, I'm not going to buy good food because I can't afford it. So I'm going to buy the cheap garbage stuff, um, you know, craft macaroni and cheese and whatnot. And who knows what they put in it and everything. Yeah, we're going to buy that. And then, oh, yeah, we're 
oh, we got all these health problems, of course, because you're not eating particularly well. So we're going to we got to have that health insurance so that you never have a savings. You never have uh, the ability to acquire property and become independent. You're always going to be chasing the, you know, chasing the carrot as it were on the hamster wheel. And that's just the way it's going to go in a debt-based society. Cause I mean, everything in our society is debt-based, credit-based. And for whatever reason, we've structured it where you can keep, you know, paying forever. And it's not like uh, say in some rougher parts of Edinburgh <laughs> where they're going to break your fingers one by one until you come up with some cash for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like that easy credit. And it's part of enslaving what could be an incredibly productive free nation. And instead yeah. keep you, you know, chasing the usury thing. Don't ever realize you the potential of what, property ownership and freedom can actually mean. Okay. How come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated, but world-class tennis players are not? Are you you're talking about which world-class tennis player? Novak Djokovic. So as far, you know, just to, just since you asked about me, about him, you asked me about him. So visa records are confidential under U.S. law. Uh, therefore, the U.S. government cannot uh, discuss the details of individual visa cases. Uh, due to privacy reasons, the U.S. government also does not comment on medical information of individual travelers as it relates to uh, the tennis uh, the tennis play, uh, player. Look, uh, those questions regarding vaccination requirements is, is, is I defer you to CDC. This is a CDC uh, requirement for foreign nationals. Uh, this is something that they decide. Uh, uh, this is uh, so. This is something that is up to them. The U.S. Open and their participant protocols. I'd refer you to them. They have their own specific protocols as well. Right. So they're two different things. I refer you to the triple vax. Triple. Uh, he's had COVID three times now. Triple sick. Triple vaxed. Fake Catholic usurper in chief. Supposedly eighty-one million uh, votes from his basement. Joe Biden, who's keeping us all safe by walking across the tarmac by himself with a mask. Brother, no one else is wearing a mask, but aren't you glad that he is? I mean, I feel like they're making him wear one extra tight to restrict any oxygen from his brain, and they tie it real tight around his head, too, just to for good measure. Does that explain why he's so stupid? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, no, literally nobody else is wearing any uh, facial protection. I guess it's so we don't see him smile. He's wearing the sunglasses, too. Maybe we don't so we don't see his pupils and see that they're dilated and whatever else he's, you know, they're using to prop him up and, and to get him through uh, a speech or whatever else. But yeah, I mean, he's, it's, a, it's all charade. It's all game. And he's, he's still trying to sell it. He's the only one still trying to sell it really. Um, but none of, none of us is falling for it. Even the guys that are part of his regime. Violence is the new normal in the United States. This is a warning to children who may be watching the rundown. You shouldn't be watching the rundown if you're a child. Um, and we give you that preamble as well. But this is, well, I mean, this is the new normal in the United States. Guys, guys, what's going on? Call the police. They my phone. Can you give her the phone? Can you give her the phone? 
This is an old woman. Please. Hello? Please. Can you not do that? Can you not stop and run away? You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to run over. Whoa! Whoa! Are you okay? No, I'm not. Let me help I'm a you up. 78 year old lady and he threw me out of the camp. I he took my money. He took my phone. He took, no, I have your phone. I took your phone back. He Let me help my you up. Phone. Let me help you up. I'm pulling his sister right on. I, I, I. This video hit me pretty hard when I first saw it. It reminded me of the 78 year old lady in the glass prison in the height of the COVID uh, charade. And um, here now, instead of isolating our, the, the elderly and protecting them and loving them, uh, we've, we've uh, just abused them. And this is the new normal. Notice that no one in the United States, Ryan, no one who is a bystander anymore jumps to help anyone to defuse situations, uh, to be brokers of peace. Also, no one knows how interpersonal violence actually works. No one knows how to fight. Uh, but, but, the, but the look on everyone's faces, I mean, they look as calm as a Hindu cow, these people. Like they see this all the time. There's nothing, uh, there's, there's nothing that gets under their skin. They just quietly grab their bags with their uh, Apple devices in it, and they move to another train car, and they just allow the situation to take care of themselves. The only person who does anything of any value is the guy holding up the phone filming. Right. The, um, and, that, and that's it. The key word there being phone. People are you know, on their devices. They don't know how to react. Um, you don't see these things going on normally. You're, 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 you see them on TV. Oh, wow, that's happening. Well, I'm not in it. So um, I'm just going to move, move along. Not my problem. I don't want to get in there. I don't want to get hit. Uh, nobody knows how to take a punch. I mean, I'm not a fighter. I'm not, you know, going to pull off any kung fu moves. You know, if I was there, I'd probably get my, my rear end beat. But I'm still going to step in because that's what you do, at least in my generation. You try to stop fights. You try to put things down. You try to help people, you know, come to something civilly. Uh, you see somebody getting, you know, maliciously mauled in public transport. You, you get in the middle of it somehow. You knock people over, right? It's, uh, it, it's a response that maybe my generation doesn't have it seems like my generation had it and then after that i don't know if it's the the phone conditioning or the tv conditioning but mm -hmm. it, it's like um you know what it reminds me of is uh, that fellow bernays who was doing the behavioral research learned helplessness right you have a certain level where yeah we can't do anything for ourselves we can't um it seems like a lot of people if they haven't grown up in a really harsh and difficult environment um they they just learn to turn off and yeah I, I i i can't be a part of this i can't do anything i better just move on call the police you know oh let, let's call mother you know it, that, that just seems to be the reaction whereas i, I want to watch how i say this uh, lest i get canceled but um there's a certain demographic you always see in these videos and i think that's a reflection of that particular demographic is generally growing up in very difficult areas and they have to do a lot of fighting 
And, you know, due to, again, their lack of property ownership and the, 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 the straits that their community has been brought to in the United States through the same people they tend to come out and support every year. But uh, um, nevertheless, I, I think that has something to do with why we see that demographic often out there beating up people because yeah. everyone else is learning how to just be pansies. I, I want to kick it over to James, but I, I, I've had this video queued up for two months and you finally have said the magic words that are going to unlock this video. This is one of the saddest videos I've ever seen in my entire life because it absolutely captures what you're talking about. You're talking about a group of people who have been deprived of fatherhood, who have been deprived of literacy, who have been deprived of any wealth and have been told that it's that it's not their fault. Uh, look at these children. This is how we think of uh, police officers uh, in certain neighborhoods. James, I, help us help us think this through, man. I mean, this is this is to to Ryan's point. Those kids, not their fault. They're repeating behavior that they've been taught. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're a product of the system in which they they are brought up and in which they live. Uh, the people who are so-called caretakers or guardians of these uh, infants often leave, <clears throat> often leave them to their own devices. Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing that, then it's sort of uh, putting them at arm's length, you know, uh, and sort of letting them take in things that are going on around around them. So the kid quickly learns how to use language he's not supposed to use language she's not supposed to use quickly learns how how to basically uh do do things that are out of the purview of a normal child uh you can imagine there any child using such uh gross uh, language um is probably left alone to figure things out for himself or herself and um you know in, in part we have to thank uh you know the society that lets us uh you know, sit down on a couch for hours on end to play video games, uh, to play video games, to watch a reality TV show and not to care about rearing or the proper rearing of uh, children. But to jump back to your story there about the uh, subway violence that you just uh, sh- showed, I, I've been a, um, I've been a, <laughs> a victim of subway violence <laughs> before and the incredulity in my face at the time when it happened, uh, I was basically shocked that something was going on that nobody was was looking my way to sort of see a what was the problem and b did he instigate it does he deserve it or c what's what's going on he seems like an innocent bystander being caught in the middle of something that he has no business you know being in the middle of and every single person that was uh, that turned to to at least uh give me sort of half an eye to see what was going on they all picked up their bags and walked to the other direction. And of course, when I reported this at the next stop to the uh, to, to the uh, substation officers, uh, they said, "Well, you know, this kind of happens every day. You just kind of have to keep your eyes open and uh, you know have a good evening." And that that this was maybe 15 years ago. You can imagine how insane that sounded to me at the time. Uh, but you know, obviously now, I mean, I, I'm not a young man anymore. Uh, but put in that situation today, I wouldn't think twice about doing what I needed to do in order to protect myself. Back then, I was just a young, naive person in New York, not knowing exactly what I was getting myself into. Uh, and uh, I kind of thought I was my, you know, being a good citizen, don't hit back or 
you know, don't don't protect yourself. Just sort of, you know, ask other people to step in and to to create some sort of, uh, you know, peace. Uh, but today, if that happened, it would be a different story. If I saw someone else, like Ryan said, if I saw someone else in that situation, I would step in myself. You know. And and you're not you're not above uh, the risk of violence, brother. Absolutely Martin, not. Even as a cleric. I can tell you if that happened where where I I was able to see it, I, he would not leave the altar in one piece. I mean, how is there a deacon standing right there witnessing it? I mean, it's okay, fine. If you're a seventy year old priest and the guy hits you, and you don't hit him back. I guess I can understand it, especially with your mask on. You can't breathe. You have no oxygen to your brain. You're, you're half retarded anyway. But um, but you've got a deacon, a strong young looking deacon who just stands there and witnesses it, brother. It's, it's this false idea that Catholics are pacifists, that we disregard violence in every way, shape, or form, and, and we don't. Um, we do believe in self-defense, and in this case, I mean, also, also defending other people. What's, what's hard, in, in, especially in, in the United States, I think, is that uh, if you have to defend yourself, the laws are already against you. It's like the person attacking you, first of all, he knows he's going to attack you before you know you're going to be attacked. And has because of that, he knows whether to sprint to get to get to you to, to hurt you quicker than you could even possibly react. Um, not only that, but they choose the weapons, and so we're we're having to decide. You know, if it, it are the laws going to get me if I choose a larger weapon than you know if they're just punching me? Is, is that su sufficient enough to declare lethal force so that I can respond adequately? Um, it, it's it's such a, a sticky situation because. Uh, the laws work against those who are trying to defend themselves or are in, are in favor of those who are, are doing the, doing the violence so much. Let's, so that let's break, let's break that one down though, because it's not merely, okay. It's not merely the fact that this homeless looking guy came in and assaulted a priest that in and of itself is a terrible thing. We really shouldn't be assaulting priests, even of the bogus ordo. However, what we all ought to be animated by, in my opinion, brother, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the, what happened is a sacrilege. He he went up onto the altar of God and he committed sacrilege and he stole the gospel, which in times past, really not even in recent, I mean, like recent history, people would have died to protect the gospel or any of the accoutrements of Holy Mass. And everyone just let this guy walk off with whatever he wanted to snatch off the altar. So it's not like it's, 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 it's the rights of man, but it's most importantly, the rights of God. And most Catholics don't even see that. And I would argue, brother, a lot of trads don't even see it that way. They see I that. Completely oh, agree. I'm going to defend my priest. I'm going to defend my turf. I'm going to defend my parish, but no, it's about the, it's about, reverence for god's things it's piety is the virtue we we've completely become trans included you're right have become completely desensitized to sacrilege completely desensitized to sacrilege and one place where i see it sometimes where that could very much possibly happen i mean i have a conversation with sede priests and other other priests that are maybe listed illicit all that kind of stuff but there's this recurring theme of people making sure that their orders are valid you know and people was like, oh, I'm going to go get re uh, reordained. 
by such and such a traditionalist bishop just to, just to make sure my orders are valid. Listen, if there's no positive doubt that your orders are invalid, then you then to be put yourself forward for a conditional reordination, it's sacrilege. So even you have the clerk, the traditionalist clergy out there going around and 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 committing sacrileges. And so I think you used uh, to incur irregularity for that. If exactly. you're a priest and you did that. Yeah. And so we've compl completely desensitized the sacrilege. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's the point. I think that's the point. Uh, and that's a pretty unpopular take. Speaking of unpopular, we're getting there. We're getting there. We have one more topic to address, and that is the, unfortunately, the ecclesiastical, while we're still talking about it, McElroy down in San Diego, California, elevated to the uh, to the red hat. Here he is. You know, throughout the history of the church, uh, th there really has been, um, I won't say a disdain, but certainly American cardinals are treated like second-class citizens. Uh, he's like, oh, it's an American cardinal. They're not taken too seriously. They're not serious scholars. They're not, you know, they're not rooted in deep European history for the most part. I mean, uh, I think uh, I think uh, Gibbons was one of the first to be really taken seriously uh, in Europe uh, as a classicist and as a linguist and as a Latinist and as a historian. But um, but here we have literally a, a, an abusive uh, and, a, and an abuser who is elevated to the College of Cardinals, Ryan. He's pretty young. He'll be voting for a while. Um, this, whatever credibility the United States has ever tried to acquire in these last 200 plus years um, uh, of, of church history in which we've played a, a small part, I mean, ha putting a guy like, like McElroy into the college, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond farcical. I mean, I don't even, I, I don't know what the right word is, but it's, it, it's a sham of the entire Catholic Church. The universal church suffers now because of this. <clears throat> he has nothing in, in terms of his own accomplishments, academic or silver, whatever. There's nothing in itself that recommends it. <clears throat> you know, a cardinal is supposed to be at, at the service of the Pope, you know, principally, uh, traditionally. Now, there's been a lot of very unworthy cardinals. If you are steeped in European history, um, you know, quite a few, in fact, but you know, we're supposed to be getting away from that. You know, that the reforming, great reforming church. But why is McElroy being made from from an otherwise unimportant seat? It does not have a cardinal seat, and he's not um, anyone particularly accomplished in, in any particular discipline or is a great teacher. But he has certain other things that recommend him. Here's a video of him at a dissident group that advocates speaking for a dissident group that advocates for women priests. Uh, contraceptive, everything else, and he's, he's out there with them, out of clerics, talking like this. The pastoral church must be a non-judgmental church. 
There is no sin which Jesus mentions more frequently in the gospel than the sin of judgmentalism. For it is a sin so easy for us all in our humanity to fall into. It is a mystery of the human soul why men and women feel better about themselves when they can point to the faults of others. So that's for the, the uh, Association um, for the United States Catholic Priests, which if you look them up and see their policy positions and a number of things, absolutely, you know, dis you know they're, uh, they're definitely subscribers to America, a national Catholic reporter, we'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, nevertheless, you know, this, that's the kind of nonsense that, you know, is getting to why. Ultimately, it's his association with McCarrick, really, as the political mover and shaker. But even that little discourse of twisting things to now apply to who's judgmental. Well, mm -hmm. everyone we say is judgmental. People who like the Latin mass and, and things like that. People who will oppose, for example, um, when when the Pope goes to change the definitions of or, or the practice on contraception or whatever it's going to be, uh, you know, he'll be out there applauding and calling everyone who criticizes it judgmental. And much like now we saw Biden's able to redefine things at will, well, so do these guys. And anything they can, clericalism, judgment, and then they become the biggest uh, practitioners of what they condemn in its traditional understanding. Francis is probably the most clericalist pope we've seen since the Renaissance, I would, I would argue. Uh, people like McElroy are some of the most judgmental people that you can get in, and Francis also, because why? Well, I mean, you look at anything he says about uh, traditionalists. What what would they say if I went ahead and you know made judgments about the spirituality of some other Catholic whose approach to things and views I, I obviously don't agree with? That would be oh, you're just being judgmental. But it's perfectly okay when Francis makes wide sweeping statements and assumptions about our spirituality and the way we go to mass that don't even really apply to us just because he doesn't like it. And so it's in that sense, McElroy is perfect because he's very much in the vein of Bergoglio. Yeah, he is. The whole church grieves when a man like McElroy uh, achieves uh, the, the, the red hat, Brother Martin. But we've been in this state of emergency now since uh, the age of Aquarius, and it is showing no signs of slowing down. No, it, it isn't. And in fact, it, every everything says that things are speeding up. I mean, it's almost, especially late um, 2021, it was almost as if every every two weeks there was some news coming out that it's almost uh, justified everything. Well, that did justify everything that Archbishop Lefebvre um, was saying. And that was that was back then. This is this is somewhat take two in the sense that uh, Benedict XVI seemed, seemed, to give, seemed to give a little bit of a break or rather the break being uh, more or less a deception saying that, oh, you know, what was good in the past is good for the present kind of thing with Simona Pontificum. Um, but that kind of really aggravated the, uh, the demonic side a little bit more uh, to, to continue persecuting the traditional Latin mass. And now things are set up so that we may not get a, a traditional Latin mass sympathizer. We may get a Bishop Barron or a Cardinal Burke who will, you know, sit on the Lodge or their, uh, on the Wednesday audiences and read straight from Vatican II and say, oh, Vatican II is very traditional, all that kind of stuff without actually addressing the issues. And so it will only pro prolong the problem. Um, yeah. but it doesn't seem to get be, be getting any better. In, in fact, the only signs that it's getting better or that, uh, that there is a solid future is those that are willing to pursue in their vocations, to pursue uh, you know, married or, or in the consecrated life, continuing to live the traditional Catholic faith and, and to preserve it. Because it's precisely when when... When the statistics actually, you know, when the downward 
slope actually run, runs to zero, the only people left will be the traditional Catholics to carry things forward. And so um, all you have to do is, is keep the fire lit. You know, it's kind of the, the, the scenario of the Easter vigil um, where all the candles are lit from the Easter flame. It goes one, from starts from one fire to the next, to the next, to the next. I mean, that's, that's the game plan for traditional, what should be the game plan for traditional Catholics is, is just keep the fire burning. James, there are only a few of us, precious few, that are attempting to hold the torch of tradition. I hope to be counted amongst those, and I know you and your family do as well. But when the age of uh, Our Lady does come, when the reign of Mary begins, she will be looking for those families and those heads of families who are holding the torch of tradition, even if it be just a smoldering ash by that point, um, take us home on this thought and um, encourage us if we can sometimes feel like the the entire weight of the world is against us with the food and the technology and the usury and everything we've talked about today, now the church against us, we have to stand fast. Certainly speaking, I mean, it seems that the whole world is crashing in on us, and uh, it seems like we are being being forced into a situation of having to deal with things that are much more uh, impress- impressive in the sense of uh, stature. You know, we're looking up and we're seeing things coming down at us, and the one fear we could have is to say, I give up, I can't do this anymore, give me this or give me that, give me a way out. But of course, um, we know through uh, the writings of the saints, uh, our Lord can never test us a lot. Uh, he can never test us more than we can handle. And so there's hope in, in perseverance, knowing through the prayers, especially of the Most Holy Rosary and, uh, you know, Holy Mass and the Sacraments, which uh, which aid us in, in this fight against uh, the world. If we cling to those things, then we can be assured that whatever sliver of hope we we have, that'll be enough to sustain us through these difficult times. Uh, I can't emphasize this enough, but uh, we certainly have to cling to the Blessed uh, Mother. We have to cling to her, uh, and if even if it's just grasping at the hem of her of her dress, you know, mm. grasping at the hem hem of it, you know, that that'll be what sustains us. And this is that time to continue to double down uh, when they mock us and say the rosary is, is, uh, is a weapon. Yes, it is a weapon, uh, but it's a weapon that'll see us into heaven. And so we have to cling to that. Amen. Happy first Friday. All right, guys, we have to do the quickest, briefest grifter segment of all time so that we can finally hear what this amazing, unpopular opinion is. of Ryan. <laughs> And you will find me ready. So I'm going to make a quick. So this is this month's book club, The Sermons of the Curie of Ours, nice. which is uh, a fantastic reading as always. Um, so you, you can buy it. If you're not in the book club, you can get it paperback and hardcover. I'm going to grift a bunch of books and do it kind of quickly. The True Story of the Sword in the Stone. Did you know there is a real sword in the stone? And it's in Italy. It's actually in a city named after this particular saint, Saint Galgano. I don't know if it'll focus on that. I need to lighten that up. But anyway, so it's a short little book. You could read it in a day. I translated this book years and years ago from Italian for someone. Um, you know, fantastic little book. 
Um, you know, if you want to know more about that, how it came, you know, except it's zero to do with King Arthur and all the Disney stuff and whatever. This is all about a guy who didn't think he was worthy enough to, to his calling. Yeah, it was a knight who'd lived a bad life. And St. Michael the Archangel appeared to him, let him up this mountain. And he's like, I, I, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. Why God, if God can forgive my sins, they're so bad. Why this sword can go through in this boulder. And it goes right in like a hot knife through butter. So he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to be a monk and do penance and uh, turns it into his own personal crucifix. Wow. So really awesome book. Easy. I knew read. none of that. I, I'm buying that book. <laughs> <laughs> I knew none of that. Right. Okay. So then uh, a Capuchin Chronicle. Uh, so if you want to know more about the early Capuchins, just look at that fantastic cover, by the way, that was an inspiration I got in the middle of the night, um, how to make this one. But anyway, uh, if you want to know about the early reforms of the Capuchins and what they went through getting established, it has a great uh, discourse on Franciscan spirituality according to the primitive rule. Great book for that. You want to know more about the breviary? How about a fun, authentic uh, tale told by a breviary about its origins and its history? So this is autobiography of an old breviary where an old, um, you know, breviary, which is a totem breviary, is the whole Roman breviary in one volume prior to Pius X's reform. And so it uh, tells about its structure, how it came to be, discussions about Latin, discussions about its, its structure of hymns, the history, all these types of things. It's great. And of course, on the discussion of history of liturgy, there's this little book, which is from a 19... I, oh, goodness, I forget the original year, 1912, 1918. It was from a Jesuit who saw Fortescue's publications... Um, I don't have the original date in here. Anyway, he saw Fortescue's publications. He's like, there's something about this that's making the study of liturgy too scientific and, and, and artificial and not living enough. And, and there's ways people are discussing it according to conventions of scholars that go against the tradition we've received. And so there's two volumes that I rolled into one. Uh, where he addresses those issues, whether the canon was always a unified prayer or became piecemeal the way the new liturgical scholars argue it, and which which he defends the former. And so this is a really nice little book on that subject. Um, and uh, if you want an easy, easy brief, uh, brief history of the liturgy to go through, that's a good one. So as always, thank you again to everyone who has donated, who has supported, who has bought books, and we really couldn't do it without you. Next week, hopefully I'll have some updates on kind of my living situation and will uh, be better placed. As always, I'm Brother Martin. You can help support a new traditional Augustinian monastery uh, by visiting Um One project that we started working on this past week was the uh, reproduction of a traditional Augustinian prayer book. Um, so we've had a few conversations about that and looking to get it reprinted and published be precisely because it was uh, back in the day, it was created for third order. And so that's something that's also been um, on our, on our hearts, on our minds and our prayer about starting a third order for the Obelis of St. Augustine to get, well, all of you guys involved uh, in, in preserving the traditional Augustinian charism and traditional Catholic faith. Um, so keep us in your prayers, this project in your prayers as well. Um, and, and visit our website to learn more about us. <laughs> Hello, hello. Um, this week, I want to talk about something that's interesting, uh, at least to me, and it keeps being interesting to me because um, we're all obviously living in a time where lots of confusion is everywhere. There's a lot of confusion everywhere. People don't know what to believe, and people don't know what is uh, what has been condemned and what has been proposed. So I'm 
asking everybody out there, you can find this online. Uh, this is my copy. I've had this for a number of years. Um, the syllabus of errors. Very important, especially in the time of Cardinal Roche, of Cardinal um, uh, Supic, of Baron. You know, so these people are, are usually online proposing the worst things for Catholics, and Catholics lap it up and they swallow it and they go, "This is great." You know, he sounds orthodox enough, but they don't know enough about the condemned propositions. Uh, that the that the uh, popes have laid out, and if you're not sure about what these condemned propositions are, they're in this book. They're itemized for you uh, to learn to study. Not too heady, honestly. Very easy. Matter of fact, uh, let me give you a breakdown here. Uh, first of all, this was published in 1864 on the feast of uh, Immaculate Conception. This book basically talks about uh, the condemned propositions on pantheism, naturalism, indifferentism, uh, socialism, communism, secret societies, uh, and civil societies. How are you supposed to live in a civil civil society? You know, what's a plural, what's a pluralistic society? How, how are you supposed to live in that? So you learn about all that here, including Christian marriage, the things to avoid, um, and whatnot. So pick up this book and uh, give it a good read. It's a short read, actually. Um, for this book, it's probably about 74 uh, pages with about 54 paragraphs. Um, so pick it up and give it a good read. We are in September and it's almost Labor Day. This is the last time you'll see me before Labor Day, so I had to wear some white. But towards the end of September, we do celebrate the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel. Many Catholics are holding to the uh, St. Michael's Lent. Uh, as we lead up to Michaelmas on the 29th of September. If you are interested in keeping this tradition, and if you haven't started it, that's fine. But what you can do to remedy that is buy this book here from Angelus Press. It's called Consecration to St. Michael. Myself and my family are making this Consecration to St. Michael this year. And it may be true that I am actually personal friends with the author, uh, and I'm plugging the book because I think we need a little bit more saint michael in our lives all right gentlemen it's time to do the unpopular opinions ryan requests to go last i'm gonna let you go second to last ryan because i feel like no matter what your unpopular opinion is i'm gonna be competitive this week he texted us he texted us a couple days ago and he said you guys better bring your a game because he's playing he did he's taunting us and i hope that you are prepared to do that brother martin your first unpopular opinion I don't know how to start mine. <laughs> no, I know what it is. I just know how to start. Um, the idea of my unpopular opinion is, is precisely this, that um, the, tra the traditionalist movement is, is – um, th there's a great defect in our division in, in arguing our position so strongly that we, we even refer to ourselves as schismatics and, and valid, invalid, the ordained priests and whatever else. Um, we get a lot of this also, you know, obviously from the from the state of Acontis. But there's also a lot of discongruency um, in other groups saying, oh, we don't know if the Novus Ordo priests are invalid or are valid or invalid. You know, we don't we can't be sure if they're they're valid. So, yeah, sure, we'll um, rebaptize you or conditionally baptize you, that kind of stuff. But then if you have a dying uh, relative who was uh, given last rites by a Novus Ordo priest who have, you have no idea, you know, 
their background, all that kind of stuff, and you contact one of these traditionalist um, priests, they'll say, oh, was, was, was he already anointed? Oh, that was by an observed priest? Oh, yeah, it's valid. It, there, there, there's a lot of doublespeak. There's a lot of talking out of, out of both sides of people's mouths, especially these are particularly from the con- traditional institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I believe it comes a lot from just trying to be morally superior to, to other groups because obviously because the church doesn't give you any authority, you have to try to prove to the laity that you have it, that you, you're it, that you're the star, that you're the only institution that's, that's trustworthy um, in the illicit trad movements or whatever else. You know, and I think um, that attitude in and of itself is, is going to be, it, could, it can be, it can be deadly to the traditional faith. It can be deadly um, because ultimately we just, it, it just becomes a, a circle, um, circular fire, firing squad. And unless we um, start being more consistent, unless we start, stop seeing each other as enemies and start seeing as simply people of different opinions that their, their main intention is to preserve the traditional Catholic faith, um, unless we start stop demon, demonizing people and, and calling them schismatics and, and all that kind of stuff publicly, then, then we're not going to bring anybody else uh, to the truth. We're not going to lead people to heaven. And so in one sense, if we're not leading people to heaven, why do we exist? That's why the church exists, to bring people to heaven. Um, and so because people have this, this zeal for just being right, and it's not really for the truth, it's for being right, which is ultimately prideful. It's a love of the truth that, of course, pride, when, when it gets mixed into the things, converts it and makes it evil. So it, you know, your love, so, some people's love really isn't for the truth. It's just for being right. And so they want to pursue the truth because they want to be right. But it's not for the truth itself or for God himself, or for our Lord himself. It's ultimately because they want to be in the right um, to, to feel that, that satisfaction for their pride. Um, and so my, my unpopular opinion is that anybody who points, um, points at another trad group, and says that they are they are ultimately to be avoided because of this 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 ultimately you should have re- reservations about that particular um group itself precisely because the there might be an ulterior motive um, behind why they want you to avoid everybody else but them um, so that's my popular opinion okay people are bringing their a game James, I hope you did the same. <laughs> Sorry, I muted you because I was trying yeah. to unmute you. All right, yeah, sure, ahead. whatever, Mike. Try to sabotage me. I know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my un- unpopular opinion um, is that there's going to be another four years of Joe Biden. Uh, and the reason why I've come to this understanding is that they're so brazen in how they are attacking everybody. Remember how they were so sure they were going to get four years in 2020. They were so sure about it. And Hillary Clinton even said, uh, I think it was 2019. Oh yeah. You know, we're going to win. That's in the bag or what she she phrased it a certain way. Um, and then we, we recollect after the fact and to, to go, well, yeah, we knew this was going to happen because she said it this way and she was sure this, this was going to work. So they've developed. Now, let's kind of put this in context, okay? They've developed uh, some sort of uh, logarithm to give us to, to give them to give themselves just enough votes to win. So you're always going to have a margin of error, maybe of one to two percent. You know, they're calculating, and they've been calculating since 2020. If we gave them the time 
to make up those lost votes in 2020, they've already calculated and made up in 2022 how many more votes they're going to need and basically lock in 2022 and 2024. I, I'm i almost certain about this, you know, because they're so brazen right now on how they're attacking everybody. And they're doing it with with, with, with impunity. They, they just don't care. Um, and this is kind of where I think we're going to be in November is looking our wounds going, how did this happen? We thought there was going to be a red wave. But guess what, guys? The red wave does not fix the voting machines. It just doesn't. It doesn't fix the machines? Okay, <laughs> Ryan, you've been waiting all week for this. I've been waiting all week for this. Okay. <laughs> So a lot of people look at Pius XII as the last really traditional pope, whether you're Sedificantist or not. You just say, well, he's the last one, has a good traditional bearing, he has the regalia, he's very dignified and whatnot, right? And so, you know, people look at that and say, you know, yeah, he's definitely the last traditional pope. And so, but you look at Pius XII, he had, he had such a love for technology that he blindly kind of saw anything that anybody was doing with technology was good. Similar thing at PhDs, he loved, you know, academia so much. Any PhD that came to him and said, oh yeah, this, this is a great idea, he just completely was just, you know, you know, passed his judgment, judgment and said, oh yeah, that's great, such as with liturgy. And so Bonini got in there. That's how the old modernists who had gotten in were, you know, getting changes at a rapid pace in the liturgy. You had uh, the PhDs in scripture scholarship come to Pius XII and be like, oh, well, you know, you had, uh, you know, we got to use the tools of historical criticism. And he says, okay, we can do that. They say, well, there's a problem in seminaries. They're letting in people who, have, who are gravely immoral in certain areas. And he said, well, let's let the, the bishops will take care of that. Now, the next pope that comes along, John the 23rd, is a lot more suspicious of technology. He, he's a lot more, you know, he's like, he hears about this problem in seminaries. He issues a document. Don't admit homosexuals and sexually deviant people in the seminary. And if you, these people are discovered, they have to be removed. If somebody confesses to grave sins against the sixth and ninth commandment, then his absolution is conditional upon him leaving the seminary. That you know, that's what that's what he wrote. And again, if there's any priest that does these things, you get them out. In that document, was completely ignored. John the twenty third looks at things like Latin. He says Latin has to be taught, and it has to be taught better, and priests have to understand it better. He wrote a whole document, which was practically a dead letter after the council. So you know, so uh, on the balance of all these things, John the twenty third is not my favorite pope by any stretch. He's not even you know, I'm not even sure you know how good a pope he was. But my unpopular opinion is. John the 23rd was a better Pope than Pius the 12th. Wow. That is a hard pill to swallow. I have no words. I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. Were both of them Pope though? Oh, okay. <laughs> Touche. Touche. All right. All right. Touché. I brought my A game too. And I, I don't, I don't need a PDF link. My I think Father Jackson is innocent. And that is my unpopular opinion. I know that he was arrested again in Kansas. I know that there's more stuff going on, but I also know what it means to be ganged up on, to be kicked when you're down. I know what it feels like now to have people that are close to you betray you. I know what it's like to have enemies from years in the past reemerge on the scene to attack you, to lie about you, to smear your name and to take away your reputation. And I believe that that is 
exactly what has been happening to Father Jackson. And in a very, very small way, I have had the privilege of living through a, a minor part of his passion, which I've united to the cross daily and am praying for him. But my unpopular opinion this week is that I don't care about the second arrest. I don't care what the so-called self-appointed news czars think. I don't care what the non-licensed attorneys who come onto YouTube every now and then with 80s hairstyles say. I think the man is innocent. And I really don't care what anyone thinks about that, even the court of law. In the general judgment, I have high confidence that I will be proven right on this fact. If he's not vindicated in this life, well, then I'll wait for it in the next. That is my unpopular opinion. Um, I brought my A game, Ryan. I hope to beat you. Hope to at least compete. What are we doing here? We got to get this stuff up. All right, guys, it's been a it's been a heck of a rundown. I promise you, James, to get you out of here at 930. It's 935. Thank you so much. I have a seven-minute outro, and to the three of you gentlemen, I'm not going to stick around and chat with you afterwards. I'm going to play the outro, and then we're moving on. <laughs> this outro, out. by the way, is very painful to watch. I didn't want to play it during the show. It's disgusting. Get your kids out of here. But this is a child drag show. This is happening in this Lone Star State of all places. This is where our culture is. Read it and weep. Good night, gentlemen. Hey,
you know, taken over our school board and they're trying to pull any LGBTQ book off of you know, the shelves of the library, anything about marginalized peoples at all. And and their their goal is to is to shut down critical thought. It really is. They're fear mongering. They don't even know like they don't even know what they don't know. So, I bet none of them have ever been to a drag show before. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like pure entertainment and, and and it's been in the culture, like, you know, it's Saturday Live, Bugs Bunny, like, we've been watching drag shows as comedy and as expression for forever. Mm -hmm. I mean... They just want to hate. Yeah, they that's just, they, that's all that they have. I know a lot of these people are teachers from our district. Mm -hmm. Um, just fighting, just fighting for the rights for these students to be able to learn and have access to, to material that Thank represents you. them. It's Thank just, you so much. Well, I mean, someone needs to do it. I mean, it's going to take a village, but we're, we're doing our best. And I've seen lots of educators, and the opposition was trolling, like digging to find educators who had said that they were coming to this. And so a lot of us had to, you know, take our invitation down. Or to, they're just, they're just... Trying to scare you out of yeah. it and intimidate you. Right. And our students, it's, it's just, it's preposterous. I, I have, I teach middle school. I have several non-binary students. 
and, and whether or not they intend to remain non-binary or whether or not they're exploring gender. It's up to them. It's up to them and it's it's not a problem. Like, where is the problem? Where is the problem? The school board meetings lately at, at the bigger districts around here have been contentious. Oh, Crazy. I, bet. I believe it. Crazy. It's just a back and forth battle. It's a culture war. They piped up, you know, they dreamed it up. 